church. Kids are welcome to stay. We're starting a new series this morning, and uh, I want you to uh, be a part of this because I, I think this af- affects all of us in here in some form or another. And that has to do with our understanding of work and how God calls us to work and labor and uh, what that means for us. This time of year, a lot of us are shifting gears a little bit, and so work may not be quite as prominent in our thoughts. I mean, um, our young people, they may not think of this as work, but this is really their job, is that they go to school. And you get up early, and you, you, you get prepared, you do your homework, and you go to school, and you, you work. I mean, that's work. But now you're out of school, and you're on a break, and you get a break for the summer. Some of us are taking break from our employment, and we're going to go on vacation at some point. We're going, to, we're going to step aside for a while and spend time with family and recreating and relaxing, and that's great. It's a good time for rest. Although some of us, this time of year, it's completely different. As the weather gets better and the weather heats up a little bit, now we go into gear and we work harder. I had the privilege of pastoring a church that... Our, our largest attendance was during the summer because it was a farming community and everybody came back to gear up for harvest and be there for harvest. And so kids, grown kids, would come back to the farms and, and uh, summer was a time of work and labor and you get things done and you get that wheat harvested. Regardless of where we sit in terms of season, I'm concerned as I look around me in our culture here in America where we enjoy such affluence And there seems to be a growing, pervading sense and value in our culture in America that not working is most desirable. And so as we look at this, I'm going to challenge you a little bit as we think about what work is and how we do that and God's attitude towards it and what that has to do with our faith Um, ask ourselves why work and why invite others to work. By the way, I'm going to be using some artwork. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to butcher this guy's name, but he's, he's a French artist. One of my favorite paintings is that one. Um, And uh, that's called the, uh, the Angelus, the angels. And uh, his name is Jean-Philippe. I just went blank. Jean-Philippe Millet, I think. M-I-L-L-E-T. We'd say millet. But Millet? Thank you. Because I, I read that this week and I go, I know I'm going to hear this. Millet. And he, he did a series of what they call pastoral art, uh, pieces of art in the 1800s. He, he was a Frenchman. He grew up in a rural area. And he did these pieces of art that usually, many of them, not all of his works, but many of them had to do with people just working the land. And there, there is dignity in this, and there is even sacredness to this. Um, as we look at this artwork, I want to point something out to you. It was suspected and suggested that he, when he painted this and had this, this couple praying at the harvest that was, was actually between them in the ground was a grave of a small child. Have any of you heard that? And um, they x-rayed the painting, and found that he did paint a hole in the ground. And then he changed it 
and changed it to them at work. And I grew up with this picture hanging in the home of one of my best friends and uh, saw it many, many times. And so I'm going to try and feature some fine art for us as we work through this series. As we think about work, I want to remind you that sometimes for us, work seems like a curse. And when we read through and we uh, the, the Genesis account or the narrative account of creation, we might be tempted to think that. And when we look around us, we might be tempted to think that, you know, work is a sentence imposed on us for life. And so there are all kinds of songs that have to do with work. And one of my favorite is... Uh, a Disney song, hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work I go. And we tend to change that and maybe say, I owe, I owe, and so off to work I go. And so work is sort of the curse of indebtedness, perhaps. Um, um, one of the songs from my era, from my teenage years, was that ain't working, that's the way you do it. You play the guitar on MTV. I play the guitar, but I still work. Uh, you know, there's this sense that, that work is something that is imposed on those who do not have the means to avoid it. And if we go back to that passage in Scripture in Genesis 2 and Genesis 3, we read where Adam and Eve are placed in the garden, and the garden seems like perfection, and, uh, and it is a blessed place. And then, of course, they make these disastrous decisions to do what God asked them not to do. And they eat of this fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they, they are then cursed. And there's a curse on the serpent. And there's a curse on Eve. And there's a curse on Adam. And you might remember that Adam's curse has to do with working the ground by the sweat of his brow. And so we tend to interpret that as saying, okay, Adam, it's your fault that we have to work. If you hadn't messed up, if it hadn't been for that original sin, we would all live at the beach. And I just want to correct you in a moment with that. But that kind of is a pervading attitude among believers and, of course, beyond that, among secular society, that work is a curse imposed on us, and certainly hard work. And in fact, there are times and there have been places in history where a criminal sentence that was imposed on someone was, was de defined as years of hard labor. That is your punishment. That's not a blessing. That's horrible, and it might kill you. And so we define work as this curse that we have to live under. Thank you, Adam, and thank you to myself for the things that I've done to myself. And so I've got to get up and go to work. And I am chained or I am shackled to my job. And what blessing would like in comparison to that is that somehow I'd have this blessed life of leisure where I could just take my time. I could sleep in as late as I want every morning and I could eat whatever I want because there was no problem with buying it and I could have multiple cars and beautiful homes and things like that and I wouldn't have to lift a finger to do it. That 
would be the blessed life. Because if the curse is work, then the blessed life is the absence of work. That seems to be an attitude that we have and an attitude that lives in our culture. Years ago, I was fortunate to pastor a church where we had a youth group that grew quickly and dynamically and almost all of the growth of the youth group was among African-American teenage boys. Not exactly something that happens often in our free Methodist churches, but it happened there and it happened because we had a youth pastor who was an athlete and he connected with the local high school and uh, had played college football and he went and he volunteered as a coach, an assistant coach, and these football players started showing up at our church and we started playing pickup basketball with them. And these young black men were blessed. I mean, I was younger then, but even so, I could have been another 20 years younger than that. Even on my best day as a teenager, I did not have the athletic ability some of these kids were blessed with. And these kids came out and they played basketball. We played pickup basketball in the church parking lot and they ran rings around me. And I, even back then, 15 years ago, felt like the old guy that couldn't keep up. And in fact, one day I said something to our youth pastor and I said, you know, these guys are so good and I am so old. I think I need to just, just give me a whistle and I'll sit on the sidelines and I'll call the fouls. And he said, no, he said, uh, Hank, you need to understand that some of these kids are so talented, they're way ahead of me. And we watched some of these kids growing and coming into the sense of athleticism that had a lot to do with genetics and a lot to do with growing up, but also had a lot to do with the values of the culture that they lived in. You see, in that culture, their mothers and their fathers when they were there and their brothers and everyone else said, you know what? Go play football, go play play basketball, be as good as you can be, and one or two of you might make it through to professional sports. And you'll get to play for a few years and retire with all the money you need for the rest of your life. That was a value of their culture. So we had a kid there, Kenny, who was a tremendously strong young man. And he set his sights on going to uh, University of Illinois. He wanted to be running back. And he practiced and he practiced. And, and then as time went on, he just started to relax a little bit and rest on his laurels and think that genetics would get him to the NFL. And as time passed, we started to point out to him that he wasn't going to get there. And I wasn't the only one. His coaches did. And then when uh, Division I schools weren't recruiting him, he went into some deep depression. And we had to show him the numbers. And our, our youth pastor did a really good job of showing him that the millions who play high school football translates to a few, about, about 10,000 play college football And then to go to the next level to the NFL, it's only a few hundred. And so the attrition rate is abysmal. And then he went on to say, as I was sitting there in the office and we were talking to Kenny, he went on to say, Kenny, you also need to understand that those who go in and play in the NFL, the average average career in the NFL is about three years. So 
Some of you have probably heard that the NFL, what it really stands for is not for long. And he had in his mind, I will go, even if I only play for three years, I'll, I'll get to retire from the NFL with $100,000 a year, I'll never have to work again. I compare that to the words of a wise man who used to sit here in this building with us. Pastor Ralph Helsel used to say, and I love this saying, and I've used it many times and borrowed it from him. He said, you know, if you really want to destroy a man, give him everything he wants. So then, if that's true, then the blessed life is not necessarily simply a life that's entirely leisure. So we want to look at this through the lens of Scripture. Just a short passage of Scripture is in Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. And Paul writes to the church in Colossae, and he has these words of admonition for him. He says, work willingly at whatever you do. Kids, just underline that and highlight it and, you know, put it on a poster in your room. Your mom and dad will love you. Work willingly at whatever you do. As though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. I'm going to back up there just a minute. I want to just make a comment on this. I don't know what you work for. You may work for the toys that your income will buy. You may work for buying that jet ski or that RV or that timeshare. Or you may be working for the security that your income will buy and I'm working to put away for retirement I'm working to have my rainy day fund there I'm working to make sure that my family never lacks for anything I don't know why you work but if we go back to this Paul says we should work for the Lord and I need to remind you that the church in Colossae like like many of the other churches around the early church it was populated by people who were slaves. And so many of these people who had come to faith in Christ had no real opportunity to get a paycheck. And so they were working for somebody who was really abusing them and was using their labor without any compensation. They were slaves. And Paul interjects in that. And he's not talking about a 401k, and he's not talking about a vacation home. He's saying, you know, you guys go to work, and you go, I'm working for this guy, and I get nothing to show for it. And Paul says, but work as though you're working for the Lord. So if that's the case... Remember that work is really a godlike opportunity. You see, as we go back to that creation narrative where God said, you know, Adam, you are going to eat by the toil of your brow, or the, the sweat of your brow. You're going to work the ground by the sweat of your brow. Let's back up before that. Let's go back all the way to Genesis chapter 1, because in Genesis chapter 1, we have this narrative where God created, and God created, and day after day, on the first day, on the second day, that's the narrative. And I just want to suggest to you that Genesis 1 tells us more about God than it tells us about the world. It tells us more about God than it tells us about the earth that we live in. And what it tells us about God is, first of all, it tells us that God is wildly creative. 
He does things. He brings things into being. And he is, he is ingenious and he has an artful touch that brings beauty into the world. And so God is incredibly creative and he uses those creative powers to do things that are amazing and outstanding. And so God does this day after day, day three, day four, day five, day six. And you remember on day seven, he rested. And in doing this, this succession of days, God was setting in place a rhythm and a cycle of life that all of us live in. That means that we work, 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 and then it is required that we rest. And so let's remember that before the fall, God himself, who is perfect, worked. God worked. And not only then, we can go on into Scripture. Throughout the Old Testament, we see God at work, and God is doing these things, and he causes plagues. And some of the plagues in Egypt are just incredibly creative and rather disgusting and disturbing, but God gets people's attention. And God sends the people of Israel out of Egypt, and he sends them out into the desert, and it looks like foolishness, and they end up trapped between a sea and an army, and God says, just open up your hands, and God parts the Red Sea, and God goes to work, doesn't he? And the people go, wow, God is amazing. And when God goes to work, it looks fantastic. And he saves them, by his work. So remember that God worked. So we went all the way back to Genesis 1 and we saw that. But then as we go into Genesis 2 and God then, uh, we, we read the narrative as, as to how human beings are then inserted into the story and God creates Adam and he, he fashions together this being and he breathes life into him. And then God gives commands to Adam and one of the first commands he gives is you are to live in the garden. And this is what it says, folks. And you are to work the garden. That was before any curse. That was before any fall. Nobody had sinned. Part of the blessing of living in that garden, in that wonderful sinless existence was work. Wait a minute, pastor. You're telling me that a gift of God is to work. And I would say yes, because we then get to participate in something that looks like him. It is a godlike opportunity. So Adam and Eve worked, and they worked even before the fall because they were in the garden, and that was part of the blessing of being created by God. So anyone who suggests to you, and we don't usually hear this, but anyone who suggests to you that work is a curse, tell them, no, no, work is a gift from God. We may not receive it that way, but that's the way it was given. I want to also bring you to a little bit of an understanding, and I'm not a Hebrew scholar, and so forgive me because my Hebrew is not very good, but the word that is used for work in Scripture in, in the Old Testament is avodah. Avodah. And this, this word that is used, you know, you're going to do this for six days, you're going to do avodah, is the same word that is used to describe how God calls the people of Israel to worship. To worship. 
So when he says, I want you to come and worship me, the word that he's using in the Old Testament is avodah. So there's this sense that what you do with your hands to provide for yourself, to feed yourself and your family, is the same thing I call you to do for me, to give me honor. It is your worship to work for me. This avodah is the same word for work as it is worship in the Old Testament. And I think we've kind of lost that at times. We tend to think that, okay, we worship on Sunday when we don't work. And we've kind of created this spiritual dichotomy where, you know, you work throughout the week and then you get to the weekend and you get a bit of a break, some of us, and depending on your work schedule, you get a bit of a break on the weekend. And then on Sunday, before we, as we begin the next week, we go and we worship, we worship beginning of the week, and then we go back to work and work and worship are somehow separated. And work is over here and worship is over there because if you knew where I worked in my office, nobody worships there. That is not a holy place. And I want to suggest to you that what God says is no, 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 no. Those two are actually the same and in Hebrew they are the exact same word. Avodah. So, if this is a God-like opportunity to work and worship God, then we get to participate in creating with the creator. One of the things that I think we tend to lose when we go through the creation story and the creation narrative is God's creativity. We tend to look at it, and and I think at times we tend to be way too analytical in terms of what's happening in what God created, and we don't pay as much attention as we should to what is going on with God in that story. We tend to try to make a science textbook out of that story rather than being a theological text. And so here's God who is creating and he's bringing things into being and he's breathing life into us and into the world and he is sharing his image And part of that image is to make things where they did not previously exist. And so, you know, this might be a little bit crude for some of us, but, you know, this this Midwestern philosophy of work and simplicity found its way in America into pop culture through a comedian. A funny guy. Larry the cable guy. I mean, the very terms that we use is this guy's first name and his job. Larry the cable guy. And Larry the cable guy, if you go and you YouTube him, I guarantee you he's going to say some things that are offensive and off color. So forgive me for that. But he latched onto a saying that just spoke to the heart of the people of this part of the country. By the way, Larry the cable guy comes from Nebraska. It's where he grew up, it's where he lives. He's one of us, people. And he has this saying over and over again as he was telling his jokes, it was, get her done. Just get her done. Because there's this sense of labor here in the heartland that says, you know, our worth and our sense of meaning as people have to do with getting it done. And if you don't appreciate that, 
go with me out to western Kansas and spend about a week out there with some farmers. Because these guys, they work hard, especially this time of year, and they do things that are physical labor in the heat of the summer just so they can harvest that wheat and they do not stop until the job is done because if they do, they will not get paid. And their families will not be fed and they will not be educated and clothed and things like that. And so there's this get-or-done mentality of we're just going to go at this because that is a part of our being. And I would suggest to you that there's a get-or-done spirituality that says, you know, we can do things and bring them about as an act of glorifying God. We can bring things into being and bring them into reality as an act of saying, we can be creative like him. Now, some of us are far more able and in touch with that creative spirit than others of us are. Now, I love to see the creativity of others, whether it's through an oil painting by a French master or a piece of furniture crafted by a, a, a master carpenter or whether it's a piece of music that is written by an incredible composer or even if it's an athlete who has perfected the craft of using the physicality of their body to do some act of performance on a sports field. I appreciate people who can bring something into being. And I would suggest that that is a calling to every one of us. Make something here that is better and new and different. Whether, whether you're working in the community garden, putting seeds in the soil, hoping that they'll turn into watermelons this year, or whether you're putting seeds of knowledge and information into the minds of young children, hoping that that will become lifelong knowledge that will educate them for life, or whether you got a paintbrush in your hand and you're just sitting here going, I am going to put some kind of color on this page and hopefully it'll be worthwhile. Creativity is part of our spirituality and getting something where it previously did not exist is a part of the way we're created. And here's the thing. God does this. He does this creativity with incredible uniqueness and beauty. And I, I love this. I love the fact that God made us so incredibly different. And so some of us have bald heads and some of us have long flowing hair. And some of us are short in stature and some of us are towering tall. And some of us have melanin in our skin that make us darker and some of us are so fair we can't even look at a picture of the sun without getting a tan. God has this wonderful sense of uniqueness and beauty that he he puts into us. And so some of us have abilities that we just cannot seem to understand and explain. They just, they're there. And others of us might grieve because we didn't get them. I'll move on. I could go on and on about that and how God has created with incredible uniqueness and beauty. And it's not just in people, it's in animals. It's in 
flora. We can see it in plants around us where one plant flowers with beauty and another plant just seems almost like it's perpetually dead but still serves a purpose. But if that's true, then our ability to worship God is connected in our ability to do something with a creative spirit. I have a family member who has worked at a car dealership for years. And he has worked in their parts department. And you may ask me, how in the world can creativity be part of what I do, Pastor? Because I do the most mundane, the most uh, routinized jobs you will ever think of. And he's a guy who does one of the most routinized jobs. I mean, people call him up from... from uh, repair shops and they say I've got such and such a car it's this year it's this model and here's the part I need and with a part number and he punches in a computer and then he goes back in the warehouse and he gets the part and he gets it out there for them or if they don't have it then he puts in an order and he is literally picking up with one hand and handing it out with the other hand their request that's it just all day long just pick up with one hand and hand it out with the other I'm just a guy in the parts department and you would think that that would be the most mind-numbing and least challenging job you could ever find. But I want to suggest to you that he's found ways to do this with creativity. And I think there's a holiness to this because he has not only found ways to do it with creativity, but he's found ways to do this in a way that brings joy to people around him. And so when he is providing parts to somebody who is working and is frustrated in the heat and trying to make this vehicle run properly, he can provide the part for them with a joke and a smile and a slap on the back and a get-her-done attitude. And we could go on and on, and there were factory workers, and I remember a man that came to a church I pastored right out of college, and he used to work for a business that, that did electrical windings on electrical motors, and it was just copper wire going around and around and around to make the windings on electrical motor. And all he had to do was sit at a machine that spun the pieces, and he had to wind the copper on there evenly. And you would just think that after day, after day, after day of doing that, you would go crazy. And I asked Herb, I said, wasn't that the most difficult, horrible job you could have? He said, I loved it. I said, why? And he said, I was a perfectionist. I wanted every strand of copper just to fall right in line after the other one so that that electrical engine would run so efficiently. And there was something about the routine and the artistry of it that I don't understand, but he loved it. And so here's the thing, whatever you are doing, Paul's words, whatever you're doing, do it for the Lord. So we worship with our sleeves rolled up and we then say, okay, for six days we will avodah. We will work, but we're worshiping. And of course on the seventh day we rest. We did a thing where maybe we did a great injustice and I wonder how much we've grieved the heart of God where we said for six days we'll work and on the seventh day we'll worship. And God's saying, no, 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 no. For six days I want you to work, worship, avodah and on the seventh day just take a break. Just stop. Breathe. Relax. Relax. 
That avodah was that word for six days you will that came out in Leviticus and the Levitical law. And this is how your week will run. For six days you will avodah, work worship. Then later on, as Joshua was challenging the children of Israel, they're getting ready to go into the promised land and they're trying to decide what kind of a nation are we going to be and are we going to continue to serve this, this monotheistic God, the one God who led us out of Egypt and out of slavery and they stand there on the threshold of the promised land and Joshua says this incredible thing. He says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's what he says. You know what he says? As for me and my house, we will avodah the Lord. So as they're getting ready to go in the land, he goes, we're going to go in here and work worship God in this land. And this is part of how we will do it. So I just want to tell you that this worship with sleeve rolls up means that tomorrow morning when you get up and you've got tasks to do, whether it's doing laundry or building a building, or designing a wing for an aircraft. Avodah, my friends. Worship in that somehow. Ask God, where are you in this? And how can I honor you in this? Whether I'm in front of a computer screen or or folding that laundry, how, Lord, do I honor you with this? You see, this brings us to the place where we get to bring into being something with beauty. I'm reminded of Thomas Merton, the Trappist monk who lived in uh, the south in Kentucky in a monastery. And when he went there, they asked him what he wanted to do. And um, there were arguments going on between the monks as to who was going to do certain jobs. And of course, they were as human as you and I, and they were kind of jockeying for position. And some of them wanted to do certain sacramental things and get things ready for mass on Sunday and nobody wanted to do the dishes. Can you imagine that? I know in your house everybody wants to do the dishes but in mine it's a little different and I kind of identify with Merton and the monks. And so nobody wanted to do the dishes and finally Merton said, you know, I'll do that. If nobody else wants to do that, I'll do that. And then he went into a life of prayer that took years of saying, God, I'm doing the dishes for these monks and in his writing he used some very disparaging terms to talk about his friends there that were arguing and doing and and he goes I'm doing the dishes for these these heathens these terrible guys and they don't clean up after themselves and they don't thank me and I'm doing this thankless work and in the meantime his conversations with God led to incredible writings that the church has latched onto and Thomas Merton has been such a gift to to American Christianity He found that in that work there was beauty. So whether you're digging a ditch or building a building or folding clothes or disciplining a child or painting a painting, talk to God and ask him, how do I serve you here? How does this bring honor to you, this work that I do that sometimes I hate? How, Lord, do I avodah? 